Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see all your lovely faces. So good to be together. All together, as uh, Tim and Esme said at the beginning, for the first time in about uh, five and a half years, which is amazing. I remember when we first went to two services, and it felt like a bit of a risk. The first few nine o'clock gatherings in the winter were a bit kind of... They were a bit dreary, I guess, for the first 15 or 20 minutes on a dark Sunday morning. Uh, But it's so wonderful to see what God has done. Just look around just for a moment. See what God has done. He's done this. He's done this. He has honored our faith and our prayers as we've called out to him. And he's doing wonderful things, friends. And as we said on Friday night, we do believe that uh, this journey that we're on as a church is not over. It's only just beginning, really. Uh, We can praise God for this building. We can praise God for uh, the exciting moment that we have this weekend. But we've got some big things ahead of us as a church. I believe that with all my heart. We've got big moments. Uh, We've got big adventures of faith where we, just as we have with this building, think, is God going to come through for us? And we're going to say, is God going to come through for us as we send some of our best people away? I'm sure we're going to do that in the years to come. We're going to think, we can't afford to lose them. And God's going to come through for us again. I believe that we're going to be stretched in some ways in the years to come. And we're going to think, God, you better turn up here. And he will do it again, friends. I believe that. And so it's so exciting that we're here together. But this is only really the beginning of a a new journey for us. As one journey comes to a close, another one starts. And uh, so I just want to encourage us. Let's continue to be what we already are, people of prayer. Just as we prayed on Friday night, let's continue to pray. Let's continue to be a people who call out to God. We had an awesome prayer meeting this morning up in our new prayer room. We had about 40 or 50 people there praying. And we're praying for this river church that's launching in Ipswich today, a new uh, HTB church. We're praying for God's blessing on them. This is exciting that in Ipswich right now, things are happening. And uh, we've got to be people of prayer, people of faith, people who call out to him, people who are courageous and sharing the good news of Jesus. And we've got an opportunity, I just want to highlight this to you, an opportunity on Saturday to be trained up in sharing our faith. Uh, we've got a friend of mine called David Barham from uh, Community Church in Chafford 100. Uh, he's coming. We're going to be at the Orwell Center, the old building, which we have for a few more months. And there's an opportunity to get trained up in how to share your faith. And uh, where's, is Luke Howard in the room right now? If you are, just wave at me. If not... Oh, Luke, can you stand up for a moment? Um, Luke, come and speak to this guy, Luke. Um, get all the information you need from him. Um, but there's also going to be information in the e-news this week and on our Facebook group. We would love to see many people there to get trained up and equipped to go out and speak to people about Jesus. So just wanted to highlight that to you. And I also want to highlight to you a couple of books that I want to encourage you to buy. Now, if you were here on Friday night, you would have been so blessed by what Terry Virgo brought to us. It was such a phenomenal word for us, really, an outstanding word for us as we we go forward. We're not of this world. We're a people whose citizenship is in heaven. And it was so encouraging. And over the years, I've been really, really shaped by Terry's preaching and his books. And one of the books that I have brought... Not, not, bought, not exaggerating, I've bought this book about 15 times. It's called God's Lavish Grace. And I keep lending it to people and they never give it back to me. And I think there's people in the room here who have never given that book back to me. Well, you can have it. It's yours. But why don't you lend it on to someone as well? I've read this book, not, not exaggerating, about four or five times. And uh, I read it first when I was 16 or 17. It changed my life. And I read it again as a young man in my early 20s. I read it again uh, in my late 20s. I read it again earlier this year as I led a life group as we we tucked into this book together. You should buy this book. It's foundational truth. 
And it will, it, as you put good foundations down in your life, God will grow something uh, amazing. So get hold of this book. Um, there's, there's a bunch of copies out uh, in the mezzanine area out there. And Terry has a new book called God's Treasured Possession, Walking in the Footsteps of Moses. We're going to look a little bit at Moses uh, today and in the next couple of weeks as well. I haven't read this book yet, but I've heard it recommended to me by so many people now that I'm getting sick of hearing about it. Uh, and I've also heard, heard it from people uh, online, very, very prominent people saying, this is a great book you need to get a hold of. So I'm going to get a hold of it. I'd encourage you to get a hold of it too, and uh, you can buy it out there afterwards. So please do get hold of those. But today, as you'll have seen on the screens, as you heard from Tim, we're starting a new series, and it's called Surprised by God. And we're going to be in this series now until uh, Christmas time, and we want to look at who God is. We want to look at the character of God. And today... In 2021, it's quite popular for people to say, uh, I'm spiritual but not religious. I believe in a, in a higher power, but uh, that higher power can't be like the God of the Bible because he doesn't agree with my ideas about how life should be run. He doesn't agree with my 21st century uh, Western liberal ideas. So uh, there's a higher power, but he can't be like the God of the Bible. We might have some ideas about God, but we kind of make it up as we go along. Well, I want to say today, and we want to say in the coming weeks, we don't get to do that. God gets to define God. God gets to say who he is. And as we look at the Bible in the weeks to come, we're going to see how he has revealed himself. And you might think, does it really matter? Does it really matter what God's like? Can't we just live and let live? Can't we just agree to disagree? Is it impractical? Isn't it just irrelevant to know what God's like? I, I want to say today that it is the most practical thing that you could ever get a hold of is to know what God is like, who he is, and to know him for your everyday life. It transforms your everyday life. There couldn't be anything more practical that you could get a hold of than to know who God is and what he's like. Just as it would be, it would be cruel to kidnap someone from the rainforest in South America, a tribesman, and take him and plonk him down in Trafalgar Square and just let him get on with life without any instruction about where he is or what he's doing and what this country's all about. It is cruel to ourselves if we try and go about life in this world without any reference to the God who created it and who runs it. We are sentencing ourselves to a life of dis just disappointment and dis disorientation and misery and thinking, what on earth are we doing here? If we don't know who God is and what he's like, that's what we're letting ourselves in for. You might think that's a bit extreme. You might be here today thinking, that's not my experience. You know, life was good before COVID. I, I enjoyed it. And it's all going to get better again. It's all going to get better again. There's, there's things around the corner. This fuel shortage is going to stop one day. And there's going to be the climate's going to get better. And uh, all of these things, these things are going to just, they're going to go away. And friends, let me tell you, even before COVID, there were some things that you said about yourself and your situation. Once this happens then it's all going to be okay. When, when this shifts, when, when that changes, then life will be good. And there'll always be those things. There'll always be those things. And, and satisfaction, if you don't know God, satisfaction and contentment in life will always feel just out of reach. If only I have that. When I get that, then life will be good. Then I will have what I need in life to be content and satisfied. A bit like Del Boy. This time next year, Rodney, we'll be millionaires. This time, it's all going to change. Life's going to get better. It's going to get brighter. Listen, the world isn't a few years away from 
reaching utopia. I, I hope you know that. It's not a few years away from we're going to reach the, the, the zenith of all reality and it's all going to be good. It's not. There's always going to be things in life that are confusing. There's always going to be things in life that cause anxiety. There's going to be things in life that we think, what is going on? I want to say today that you need to know God. And there is a God who created all things. There is a God who is holy and knowable. That's what I want to share with you today. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there now. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses will come up on the screens when I start to read them out. Let me give you a little bit of the background to the story that we're going to look at today. At this point in time, three and a half thousand years ago, Egypt is a major superpower. And they have at their disposal tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of slaves. And they have enslaved the, the Hebrews. They've enslaved the Jewish people. And they're making them build big cities for them. And there's a guy called, uh, a baby called Moses, born to a Jewish family. And at this point in time, the Egyptians are starting to get a bit nervous about the Hebrew people. They're starting to get a bit nervous that this Jewish people are growing and, uh, and they, they're worried that maybe one day they may get too powerful and overcome them in some ways. So they decree that all of the baby boys should be killed at birth. So they order the midwives to kill baby boys as soon as they're born so that they won't be able to reproduce in uh, 15, 20 years down the line. They won't have an army and so on. Now, Moses is born and his parents, there's a patrol coming. His parents decide to hide him in a riverbed. And the story is, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the whole story. You need to go to uh, Exodus chapter 2 to read that. But long story very short, Moses comes to be the adopted grandson of the king, the pharaoh of Egypt. And as he grows older, he sees the cruelty of the Egyptian uh, slave masters towards uh, his people. And he sees one beating uh, a Hebrew slave, and he kills this slave master. And then he buries the slave master, and he runs because he fears he's going to get found out. And so we kind of fast forward, and we find Moses in the wilderness. Uh, he's now married, and he's shepherding on behalf of his father-in-law. So this is where we're going to pick up the story. Now, one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Shall we just pray? And ask God to just come and move in our hearts. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe you want to pray this with me. God, we want you to come and move in our hearts and lives as we unpack your word together. Amen. Amen. So God warns Moses and he says, take off your shoes because the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. God is a holy God. And that's 
That's probably the, the, the most central truth statement anyone could make about God. He's a holy God. If you were to go into the streets and to say to people, what is the most central truth statement about the Christian God? A lot of people would say God is love. And it's true to say God is love. But if you were to ask the angels in heaven, what is the most central truth statement about God? Well, when we read the Bible from beginning to end, we see that they say God is holy, holy, holy. And on into eternity, they haven't got bored of singing it. They're singing, God is holy, holy, holy. This is who God is. He is a holy God. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to say that God is holy? Because you hear people say things like, yes, God is love, but he's also holy. As if his holiness somehow stops him from being too loving. It sort of holds him back a little bit. Well, that's nonsense. To say God is holy is to say God is set apart. It's to say that he's totally other. He's totally unlike you and I. He's in a completely different category. Now, this is where the trouble begins, though, because we kind of think that we're quite lovely, don't we? We kind of think of ourselves, I'm quite a lovely person. I'm quite a good person, actually. And so if God is other, if he's set apart, that's not good news. We, we kind of have this warped view of ourselves, and we don't kind of peel back the layers to see, actually, there's some quite ugly stuff inside. He's totally other. He's in no way like us. There's, there's something so majestic about God that when someone encounters him and he's in his awesomeness, Moses, in this case, has to hide his eyes. He has to shield himself. And Isaiah, the prophet, this is a guy who we read later on in the Bible, he, he gets a vision of God. He gets a vision of God in the temple, seated on the throne. And he, see, he said, I saw the Lord God high and lifted up on the, on the throne. And he said that the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, in a month or so's time, our youth leader, Kirsten, who is downstairs right now leading our young people, she's getting married in this building. And I want you just to imagine for a moment, she comes in at the back and her fiancé, Sam, here, he's waiting for her. And we're all in anticipation of her arrival. And the doors open and we think, wow, she looks amazing. She looks beautiful. And then we just start to think, that's quite a big dress. It's still, it's still, Sam is still going. And, and, and Rod and some other people start to say, we've got to move some chairs out of the way. She's still coming forward. There's more dress to come. And then it gets a bit awkward because then Rod has to say to some people, do you mind just going downstairs and watching on the screens because there's not enough room for the dress. And it gets to the point where suddenly the whole room is filled with her dress where the, the, the train of her, her dress fills the whole room. But Sam has to leave himself. There's no room for her. There's no room for her to fit in here. This is what's going on here in this vision that Isaiah has. The train of his robe, this God seated in majesty, it just fills the temple. It's so glor- He's so glorious and so majestic that everything else has to shift out of the way. He's so weighty, so, oh, it's awesome that everything else changes when it encounters it. His holiness is a way of, of describing his, his godness, what makes him God and us not. He's unlimited. He's infinite. We are limited. We're finite. We're limited by our sin. We're li- limited by our, our humanity. He is unlimited. Nothing is impossible for him. He is 
bigger than his creation. He rules over his creation. He has more value than his creation. He is supremely majestic. And we've, we've seen that even on this little video we showed you. His creation. It's beautiful. Sometimes you might watch uh, shows like Our Planet or Planet Earth, and they're just stunning productions. And you see the, the beautiful creation of God. And somehow the presenter doesn't even believe in God. And you think, how blind can you be? There is a God behind it all. It takes more faith to believe that it came from nothing. It's, it's, it's foolishness to believe that this came from nothing. That all that we see just happened. If, if you really believe there is no God, ask yourself, why is there something rather than nothing? How did it come to pass? How did it, this complexity and beauty come to be? There is a good, holy, and majestic God behind it all. There is. There is a good God behind it all. And God's holiness refers not only to his moral perfection, which we'll come on to in a minute, but the perfection of all his other attributes. So he is, his, his love is a holy love. It's, an, it's other than the kind of love that we have. His mercy is a holy mercy. His forgiveness is a holy forgiveness. His power is a holy power. It's other. It's set apart. Our love and mercy, even our best efforts, are kind of tainted with wrong motives. If I do this, people will really think I'm, I'm a pretty virtuous person. If I post this on my social media, they're going to think, I'm, I'm really very virtuous. Even in the best, of the, will, you know, best will in the world, we have tainted motives. And yet God is not tainted in any way whatsoever. He's holy. He's altogether holy. He's unlike us. He's pure and perfect and radiant in every way. He is God and we are not. And God, as I said a moment ago, is holy with regards to his moral perfection. He is the standard. And morals in this nation seem to be changing every few months. They really do. We're kind of making it up as we go along in this nation. And things that, honestly, only a few years ago, people would have laughed at are now being heralded as truth statements by, often by politicians who are too scared to say otherwise. Changing month for month, things happening at such a pace. We're making it up as we go along. But with regards to moral perfection, God is like the sun. As the sun is the source of all light, so God is the source of all goodness and justice. He decides, he defines what's good. He's also the standard, as I say. We, we, only, uh, we not only see what, what light is as we look at the sun, but we see everything else in the light of the sun that it provides. So God is good and just, and he is the only true light in the world, as we've even heard today. It says in the book of 1 John in chapter 5, it says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And he cannot allow sin into his presence. That's what it says in Psalm 5 verse 4, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. If it did, it would be destroyed, completely obliterated. Just like someone who tries to get too near the sun to go and check it out, you just end up, just, just get burnt up. And that's why God says to Moses later in Exodus 33, man shall not see me and live. So that's why when Isaiah has this vision in Isaiah chapter 6, 
that he shouts, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm from a people of unclean lips, and now my eyes have seen the king. This is not, oh golly, this is the kind of thing you shout when you're about to be hit by a train. Woe is me. He he knows this God is holy, and I'm not. This is so awesome. Now, if our God was a single-person God, it would be very bad news for God to be holy because his holiness would be about being set apart, aloof apart from his creation. But we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that he has always existed, one God, three persons. He's always been a community of love. So a Christian can say God is love. No other Faith or religion can say God is love. Because a single person, God, at one point was on his own. And therefore, he had to become loving after he had created some things to love. Now, we believe God is love. He has always existed as a loving community, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is love at his core. And in his love and out of the depths of his holy love, he wants to draw people into his loving community. This God, he wants to draw people in to the loving community that has always been. And it's in his holy love and mercy that he sent his son to become like one of us. To take on flesh, to walk in this world of sin and all kinds of ugliness, he sent his son into the world. He's a God who wants to be known. He wants others to experience his presence and his fatherly ways and his wisdom. He wants, he wants all people to come to know him for who he really is. So his holiness and his grace, they're not at odds with each other. Sometimes we, we think that for God to be merciful, he has to sort of suspend his holiness or set aside his justice Nothing could be further from the truth. So how can it be? How can that be? How could it be that you and I, we well know that we are sinners. Whether you believe in God or not, you well know that you've fallen short by your own standards. And you do it regularly. You set out standards that you want to live by and you fall short of them regularly. How can it be that people like you and I can come to know this holy God before whom things would just burn up if they got too close? Well, because he's holy, he does things that we would never do. Like send his most precious son to die for those who have made him their enemy. That's what our God does. He's holy, does things that we would never do. And God displayed mercy once and for all in an incredible act of sacrifice when he sent Jesus into this imperfect world and where Jesus lived amongst people like you and me. Didn't go and spend time with the high and mighty. He spent time with people like you and me. And he lived a life of perfection and upon the cross, he bore the weight of our sin and our shame. He took upon himself the punishment that our sins, that our wrongdoing and wrong thinking and wrong speaking rightly deserved. That's what he took upon himself. At the cross, God didn't sweep our evil under the rug and just forget about it. No, no. Jesus took it upon himself. So that sinners like you and I can receive mercy 
because the debt owed has been paid in full. The cross was the price that he was willing to pay. The cross was the price. And Jesus suffered and died in our place on the cross. So that, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Now, if you've zoned out in these last five, ten minutes, I need you to zone back in right now. Because when you hear it, those, those very famous Bible verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, you might start thinking about eternal life being something that you will experience one day when you die. But Jesus says something very different in John chapter 17. He says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if you know God the Father, and if you know Jesus Christ, whom he sent, then you are enjoying eternal life now. You're enjoying it now. It begins now. And of course, one day, we will no longer experience the sin that so easily entangles. We will no longer experience uh, the pain of grief and the pain of the struggles that we go through. Of course, one day, we're gonna, all of sickness and sin, and uh, it's all going to go. But listen, the very, very best thing about eternity is that we get to be with God. That is, heaven is good because that's where we get to go and be with God. In this new heaven and new earth, we get to know him in all his fullness. Now we see in part, then we're going to see like we're seeing face to face. You were made to know God. Your highest aim in life should be to know God more and more and more. This is what you were made for. All other aims need to take second place to that. The best thing in this life is knowing God. Some of you, 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 you've kind of grasped that. Maybe that's come home to you in recent weeks or months. But you just think, I can't. I can't, give my, I can't throw my lot in because... You're being held back by other people's opinions. I was speaking with a lady last week, a friend of mine and I, we went out, we spoke with some people in the streets. We spoke to a lady at a pub and we shared the gospel with her. And at the end we said, so do you want to know this Jesus? Or do you, where are you at? And she said, I'm in, I'm, I know I'm in brokenness and sin. Do you want to know Jesus? And her first response was said, I do, but my stepdaughter is living such and such a lifestyle. What would she think? That was, her first, that was her first response. And some of you here today, your response when you sing and you hear these truths about Jesus, I want that. I want to know him as my savior. I want to know eternal life. I want to know life in all its fullness. I do want that. But what would so-and-so think? What would my parents say? Because I've grown up with this religion. Or they're staunch atheists. Or, I've got this relationship and I really love her, but she doesn't want to know. She doesn't want to know about Jesus. Some of you have been held back today. I want to appeal to you, trust God. I said this to this lady, listen, give you all to Jesus. Trust God for your stepdaughter. Trust him. He knows what's best for her. He loves her. Put your, put, jump in with both feet today. Make it your highest aim in life. To, to know God, to know him in all his fullness. Not just knowing about him, 
not just knowing some facts about him, not just being able to uh, reel off some Bible verses, not being able to know the next line of lyrics before it's even come up on the screens. That's not, it's not knowing about God, it's knowing him. That's what you, this is what it's all about. This is life to the full. It's walking with God, knowing him, pouring your heart out to him, casting your cares upon him, being fathered by him. I've had a crazy week. It's been, it's, I've been running on adrenaline at times. And yesterday, even as I was preparing some notes for this message, I fell asleep. You can probably tell. <laughs> I, I was so tired. And tonight, I know I'm going to be tired. And tomorrow, praise God, my diary is looking pretty empty. Apart from an evening appointment, I've got a day where I'm going to catch up with God. I'm sure there'll be many, many other things crying for my attention but in the morning, my phone is going off, and I'm going to have a walk with God. I'm going to talk with him. I'm going to pour my heart out to him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to thank him. I'm going to bring to him sin in my life I need him to deal with. I'm going to talk with him, cast my cares upon him, ask him about things. This is what I was created for. And, and life is kind of screaming out with all other kind of things that need my attention. That is what I'm created for. That's got to be first priority, to know God, to walk with God. And, and whether or not I get an opportunity in other days to go for a walk with God, I'm going to weave in and out of my day time with God. I'm going to weave in and out of my day time just to pray and ask him and talk to him and cast my cares upon him. This is what we were created for. This is our inheritance. If you know Jesus, this is your inheritance. It's to know God. It's not to one day kind of you know, get a ticket to heaven. It's to know him now and to grow in your knowledge of him now. And you're never going to reach the bottom, friends. The Bible speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's like, basically, when you find this treasure chest and you're digging, digging, digging deeper and deeper, and you never reach the bottom because his riches are unsearchable. You're never going to get bored of knowing more and more of Jesus. It's never going to happen. And even into eternity, we're going to be amazed by him. Even into eternity, we're going to be astonished by him. His riches are unsearchable. This is what we're made for. We've got there's so much depth to plunge. I want to put it to you right now that I think your knowledge of Jesus is like the tip of an iceberg. And you think, I've been around the block a bit. I've been a Christian for 50 years. I know the Bible well. There is so much more depth for you to know. There's so much more of his character to, to discover and enjoy. So much more, friends. This is what you're made for. Now, this, this is your highest priority, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Listen, we've got this amazing facility here. We're going to bless this. We want to bless this town. Do you want to bless this town? I want to bless this town. I want to pour God's love out in this town. And this building's a great facility for that. But listen, the highest priority for us is to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To know him, to press in to know him more. That's our highest priority. If we do all of those things, but we we neglect our first love, then we'll be like those people that Jesus comes to and they say, Jesus, we did all this for you. We cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We did all this for you. We'll be like those who say, Lord, we built this amazing building for you. We did all of this for you. We turned up early to serve on the door for you. And he'll say, I never knew you. I don't want that for my life. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to grow. He wants you to grow in your knowledge of Him. Listen, I want to just finish by 
appealing to you. If you're here today, maybe you've just kind of come out of curiosity. Maybe someone's kind of nagged you to come and said, hey, you've got to check out this building. You said, okay, I'll come along. And you're thinking, what is all this about? I want to tell you about a guy called Saul, who we read about in the Bible, who he had it all. He had the right family background. He had the right uh, name, as it were. He had power, influence, prestige. He had the respect of people. Oh, look, it's Saul. People point at him down the street. Look, it's Saul. He felt he had it sewed up morally as well. He felt like he was a good person. But actually, deep down, he was insecure. Deep down, trying to cling on to power at all costs. Deep down, worried that at any moment, his world might fall apart. And one day, he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. One day, like, like Moses had this encounter with God, this guy Saul had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And everything changed. It, his whole world changed. And he, he went on to say this about his life as an old man. We read this, about this in Philippians chapter 3. This is a guy called, who, who came to be known as Paul, a great apostle for Jesus, went on to start many churches. This is what he said in Philippians chapter 3. I once thought these things were valuable. I once thought that having the best reputation, I once thought that people respecting me, people liking me, people looking to me for the answers was valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have this guarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul who's saying, everything else is garbage. Everything else is rubbish. He uses a much stronger word than that, that I'm not going to use this morning. That is manure. It's poo. He's saying it's all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. It's all, it, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. Anything else that you're running after, anything else that you think this is what life is all about, it doesn't begin to compare with knowing Jesus. There was a great writer called J.I. Packer who said this, what normal person spends his time nostalgically dreaming of manure? This, in effect, is what many of us do. It shows how little we have in the way of true knowledge of God. It's not like Paul said, oh, these things are worthless to me, but I'll think about them from time to time. No, no, I'm not, they're not even worth thinking about. They're not even worth making my, my life all about compared to knowing Jesus. So you can know him. You can know him. You can throw your lot in with God today. You can give your life to him. The God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we don't have to guess or grope around to think what, what is God like. He's not some jolly Santa in the sky. And nor is he this hazardous monster. No, he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And you can know him. So I want us to stand together. We've got a few minutes to respond. We're going to respond in song. 
but there will be some here today, you know you need to respond. You know that today is the day that you need to throw your lot in with him. To say everything else, all of the reputation that I've run after is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. There's many dozens of men and women in this room who were running headlong after other things. Some were respectable things. Some were not at all respectable things in the world's eyes. And yet none of them remotely come close to knowing Jesus. And it says in Romans 10 verse 9, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what you can do today. Maybe even as we sing, you might want to just shout out from where you are, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe that you rose again. Give your life to him. And your next step, as Tim has already said today, we want to baptize you. We want to baptize you. You might start this walk with Jesus for the rest of your life. Should we pray together? And we're going to sing, we're going to worship this holy and yet noble God. Father God, right at the outset of this uh, time in this new building, as we're excited about uh, all that we see before us, we thank you once again for this amazing provision. But Lord, we know that the real deal is knowing you. Lord, there is nothing that compares to knowing you. Lord, everything else that we once thought was of worth, we know it's rubbish. It's rubbish, Lord, compared to knowing this holy God who's now made it made a way for us to know him as Father, who sent his Son to die in our place. Father, we praise you. We love you. We adore you. Help us to know that we are created to know you and to walk with you all of our days. Help us to know that. Help us to make that our highest aim, our highest pursuit in this life, to press on to know you more. Help us to plunge the depths of the riches of Jesus. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you. Lord God, I pray that you would show yourself to them, just as you did to Moses, just as you did to Saul, and you completely turned their lives around. Lord God, I pray, come and change lives today. Come and turn lives around. Would this be a moment where people look back and say, that day, the 26th of September, 2021, I, I gave my all to Jesus. I, put, I jumped in with both feet. Let it be the day I pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship.